You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Well, howdy, City Church Downtown. I'm glad to be back with you guys this week. Now, for those of you who are just now starting with us last week, we started a new series, a new collection of talks called Major Keys. And so let me break down for you really quickly what it's all about, get you caught up to speed. So last week, we started going through a portion of the scriptures known as the wisdom books or the wisdom literature. And is the wisdom, in the wisdom literature, there are a whole bunch of nuggets and it's like gold, right? There's all this advice and practical living tips keys for us to live what we're calling the blessed up life, a life of purpose, passion, peace, honor, respect, etc. And so over the next couple of weeks, we'll be unpacking certain parts of this wisdom literature and giving you guys the keys to live that life. So last week we saw that the first major key to living that life is to be a perpetual rookie, somebody who approaches life with an understanding heart, who seeks to learn, and who, whose life motto is to acquire wisdom. Do you guys remember that? All right. So today we're going to look at another major key, but before we do, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, and in it, keys to living the life you've created us to experience. And God, I just pray that today in the midst of all the chaos that's going on in our lives and all of the distractions that you would just clear our minds and just focus us, center us to be able to hear from you. Lord, we're intently listening, so speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In my 20s, I lived in this house, 13322 Concordia Oak. And while only three other guys actually paid rent to live there, we had several other unofficial roommates. And so as you can imagine, a bunch of guys living in a house together, you needed like a biohazard suit to actually walk through the place. And as a bunch of guys with virtually no real responsibilities, no real pursuits at the time, there was always some sort of shenanigans going on at that place. You know, we looked for every reason to get together. We would host these watch parties to see our favorite television show finales like Lost, or we'd get together to watch sporting events, the Super Bowl, things like that, every Spurs game. We'd link all of our game systems in the house together to have this like marathon of Halo and Mortal Kombat matches. There were foosball tournaments and game nights with our girlfriends, cookouts, potlucks. Man, we lived it up. And we lived it up so much We'd even take spontaneous road trips to New Mexico or Colorado, right? Because there are things you can do in Colorado you can't do in Texas, if you know what I mean, right? (laughs) Things that get you a little lightheaded. I mean, we'd go to Colorado, and we would get so high, like 12,000 feet high. You know, you, you can't do that here in San Antonio. Man, so, you know, mountain climbing, snowboarding, those became our tribal traditions, and I will say that the few years that I spent living with my guys at Concordia Oak were some of the greatest times of my life. And of course, one by one, we graduated from UTSA. A few of us got serious with girlfriends. A few moved away, and we started to focus on our careers so we could get married, buy houses, eventually start families, you know, living the American dream. Now, my boys have done well for themselves. Uh, One is now an engineer that travels the world. 
Two are in management at a financial institution. Another opened up Dignity Meets a couple blocks away on Houston Street. Now, these guys are working hard, and they're achieving some incredible things, and I couldn't be more proud of them. And the love for them is still there, but I got to be honest with you, with work schedules and family schedules, getting us together is like pulling teeth. We're kind of disconnected and getting torn apart. And sadly, our fun traditions have faded into just fond memories, and our communication has been reduced to infrequent text messages and them telling me like I'm dead to them, stuff like that. (laughs) You know, we always knew that our time as roommates was a fleeting season. We always knew there would be an end to our seemingly fruitless shenanigans, And well, this year, the last two roommates moved out of that house, and it marked the official end of an era. It was time to grow up. (laughs) It was time to move on to more meaningful pursuits. Ask a millennial, they'll get it. And you know, that's, that's kind of how all of our stories unfold at some level. I mean, it's sort of the cultural expectation that we are to give up our child's play and we are to grow up to pursue the American dream. In our society today, seizing that dream is synonymous with success. And somebody who isn't living that dream, well, we see them as losers, and then we wonder why they haven't got their lives together. And so whether intentionally or unintentionally, consciously or subconsciously, we all prioritize our lives to achieving that dream. We spend our entire youth in education systems, and we hope that that education will one day pay off and land us a job that pays decently and gives us decent benefits. And we work hard in that job so that we can increase our buying power and eventually care for a family in order to purchase a house with the most square footage we can afford on a plot of land that gives us privacy. You know, we create our own little fortress against the adjacent houses. We choose neighborhoods that are safe and in the best school districts so that our children can get top-notch education and eventually get good-paying jobs so that they can one day take care of their own families and thus perpetuating the prioritization of this American dream. Now, I'm not knocking it. All right, we are incredibly blessed to live in a land that gives us the freedom and the right to pursue happiness. We are afforded the opportunity, unlike many other countries, to become whoever we want and to achieve whatever our hearts desire. And it's because of our country's achievement-oriented culture, our spirit, that we've made such significant technological strides. And it's because of our pursuits that we've become arguably the most affluent society ever. Now, the problem is, Whether we realize it or not, this achievement-oriented culture is negatively impacting our lives. For example, when a coworker posts vacation images and all the fun that they're having while you're stuck in your cubicle or in your office writing a sermon, we can't help but experience a little sense of envy. And when our classmates' LinkedIn profile showcases all of their professional accolades, everything that they've accomplished, we can't help but feel a little ashamed for how little we've done or maybe even a, a tinge of regret for the path that we chose. In fact, the more absorbed a person is with this achievement culture, the more likely it is that they will develop depression. According to the World Health Organization, 
those who grow up to seize this American dream, those who pursue material wealth, whose chief aim in life is to succeed, well, they suffer depression at eight times the rate of individuals who don't. And not surprisingly, more Americans than ever are stressed, anxiety-ridden, and suffer from severe psychological distress. Despite all of our technological advances, all of our advances in medicine and science, our society today is being torn apart with some of the highest rates of schizophrenia, poor health, and chronic loneliness. And frankly, that's not the kind of life that I want to pursue. That's not the kind of cycle that I want to perpetuate. You know, I believe that we were created to experience something so much more, something so much more significant. I believe we were created to experience a life of fulfillment, of purpose, passion, and peace. And I believe that's exactly what God wants for us. And so how do we put an end to all of this affliction? If we have the freedom and the right to pursue happiness, what exactly should we pursue in order that we actually experience it? Well, we discover the major key in the life of a middle-aged man recorded in the scriptures. You might recall from last week around 970 BC, a teenager named Solomon was crowned king over Israel. In his youth, he was a perpetual rookie who approached life with an understanding heart and whose life motto was to acquire wisdom. And so he leveraged the keys that he had acquired. He leveraged all of that wisdom in pursuit of his Israelite dream, his dream to be regarded as the greatest king to have ever ruled. So for the next 40 years, over the next 40 years, Solomon prioritized his life to achieve some incredible feats. He became an innovator. He installed an extensive network of canals, irrigation canals, all throughout his land, the first to ever do that. He became a real estate mogul. He built houses and temples and trade centers. He was an agricultural pioneer. He planted vineyards, erected gardens, and developed parks with plants from all over the known world. He accumulated a ridiculous amount of livestock and from them produced the finest goods. By today's market value, Solomon amassed for himself a net worth of, get this, $222 trillion. Now with that kind of money and power came all the sex that he wanted with thousands of foreign women. I mean, this guy was the real life Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark of his time. You know, King Solomon lived a life that most of us today cannot even fathom and a life that many people in his day envied. Some would say he was living it up. Well, around his early 50s, Solomon did what many middle-aged folks do. He reflected on the life that he had lived. Now, given all that he had achieved in his lifetime, how do you think Solomon felt? Surely he would have patted himself on the back and been proud of himself and said, you know what? You have done well for yourself, Solomon, right? Well, in a journal of his reflections called Ecclesiastes, where he kept his major keys, he wrote how he felt. And he said this, he said, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was no profit. 
So I hated life. Not the answer you'd expect from a trillionaire playboy. And when we unpack what he actually meant, what we learn is even more unexpected than that. See, in the original text of the scriptures, the term from which we translate vanity is the Hebrew hevel. Hevel is best explained like this. Now, I need you guys to play along with me here, all right? This requires a little interaction, so I'm going to give you some instructions. It's sort of like Simon says. What I need you to do right now is to cup your hands together and place them about six inches or so from your face. Now, when I tell you to, I want you to take a deep breath when I tell you to, and then I will say blow, and so blow into your hands and try to catch your breath. Are you ready? Take a deep breath. Now blow. Somebody made a train noise. (laughs) I'm guessing you didn't catch your breath, though, right? If you're human, most likely you didn't catch your breath. And that's exactly what Hevel is. It's a puff of air. It's a breath. It lacks substance. It's virtually nothingness. And not only that, it's fleeting. You can never fully grasp it or get a handle on it. Despite all that Solomon innovated, despite all that he instituted for the world, He felt that his pursuits were Havel. And on top of that, now, pay special attention to this because this is important. Do you know what the literal translation is from the Hebrew for the phrase, I hated life? Do you know what that is? It's, I hated life. Meaning Solomon, the wisest, the richest, most accomplished man to have ever lived, he loathed being alive. He loathed every breath that he took. Despite prioritizing his time to achieve incredible feats, he felt that he had wasted his days and he was filled with regret. Why is that? How could someone so seemingly great, someone so seemingly accomplished feel so empty and carry so much regret. Well, what Solomon recorded next gives us a clue. He shared this observation. He said, there was a certain man without dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all of his labor. I mean, this guy just worked and worked, and he achieved, and he achieved, and indeed in his eyes, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and Whom am I doing all of this for? Whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is Havel, vanity, and it is a grievous task. Now let's pause there for just a moment. And you notice what Mr. Seize the Dream himself did right there? Solomon chided the man in his story for basically living the same way that he had been living. In a sort of backhanded way, Solomon admitted what he had realized after 40 achievement-driven years. Like, yeah, I checked off countless items on my bucket list, and yeah, I have thousands of notches in my bedpost, but guess what? My life consists of nothingness. I am empty inside because I have no one to share it with. I am socially disconnected. You see, according to Solomon, if you are socially disconnected, and you have no one to enjoy these things with, owning the best gadgets and fancy possessions, well, it's all Havel. 
If you're socially disconnected, if you're not involved in the lives of your spouse and your children deeply, well, simply providing them with a house and feeding their mouths, well, it's all Havel. If you're disconnected, capturing the perfect shot of your solo travels to post on social media, well, that's Havel. Even spending your entire day reading the scriptures, attending every Sunday service, or being a part of every class that City Church downtown offers, it will all still be Havel, and your life will eventually feel like you're torn apart if you never connect with others. Because according to Solomon, the blessed up life doesn't consist of what you do, but who you do life with. But come on. I mean, can we really trust the advice of a bitter, middle-aged man who lived over 3,000 years ago? I mean, why should you and I believe that a life without connection will leave us feeling empty and torn apart? Well, if you're skeptical about what Solomon has recorded in the scriptures, trust me, I, I get it. I totally understand. But you should at least hear out Dr. John Cacioppo. So Dr. Cacioppo, he's a distinguished professor from the University of Chicago, as well as the world's leading expert in cognitive social neuroscience. His research revealed that our brains, as a means for survival, they are designed to be connected with others. He found that being socially disconnected is an even greater risk factor for death than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Being socially disconnected because of our brain's wiring it interferes with our ability to retain facts and to solve problems. It drives up cortisol and blood pressure levels that damage our internal organs. It exaggerates inflammation and reactivity to stress that's linked to heart disease. And so those feelings of emptiness that you sometimes feel, those aren't feelings that are telling you to achieve more or to accumulate more. No, those feelings of emptiness, that's your body's built-in alarm system. Much like when you stub your toe and you feel physical pain or when you get hungry. That's your body's built-in alarm system sending a biological signal to you to say, hey you, if you don't get connected with others, you are a goner. And get this, Cacioppo's research showed that no matter how healthy you are, if you aren't socially connected, you are 31 times more likely to die within four years. Now that's Havel. Of course, it's unlikely that Solomon knew this science of loneliness, but he without a doubt felt its effects. It's why he was so depressed. It's why he hated life. It's why he didn't want us to suffer the same and prioritize our lives to pursuing this dream. Now, I know what you're thinking. Thank God for Facebook. All right, I'm, I'm connected to dozens of friends, so this doesn't apply to me. Keep going, Lee. And you might be thinking, whoo, I'm good. And I'm always on these text threads, and I call and I text my children all the time, and you know what? I'm a cat lady, or I'm a dog lover, and my dog's my best friend, knows all my secrets. <laughs> but that's not the kind of connection Solomon had in mind. No, he wanted for us something so much more, something so much deeper and richer, and he explained it. He said, two are better than one. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. Now, this is real time, face to face. 
And furthermore, if two lie down together, well, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? This requires vulnerability. And if one overpowers him who is alone, two can resist him. Requires trust and bravery. The kind of connection that Solomon had in mind and the only kind that isn't Havel is the kind that takes place in real time, face to face. It's the kind of connection that requires bravery and trust. And we call this being intimately connected, not to be confused with the euphemism, intimately connected. You intimately connect when you are vulnerable, when you risk sharing emotionally meaningful thoughts with another person. You intimately connect when you take an interest in others, when you empathize with them and you show your support for them. And you intimately connect, not by simply being in others' presence, but by being fully present when you're with others. And not surprisingly, further research reveals that being intimately connected above food and above water It is our most basic human need. Pursuing real-time, face-to-face contact protects our cardiovascular and immune systems. People intimately connected with others recover faster after an illness than those who are disconnected. Their bodies bounce back better after trauma and they experience greater tissue repair. Engaging socially with others in real-time, face-to-face with emotionally meaningful thoughts even raises our lifetime IQ levels. Being intimately connected reverses the effects of our pursuit of the American dream. And it's just as Solomon said, two are better than one. And there is nothing Havel about pursuing that. But he wasn't done. Solomon had one final key about the pursuit that actually produces this blessed up life. He said, And a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Now, what does this have to do with intimately connecting and the major key to a blessed up life? Well, in Solomon's day, a cord was made from flax plant fibers. And as you'd expect, individually, these fibers were quite weak on their own. But when braided together, they had great strength and Durability, And so for thousands of years before the age of discovery and today's technological advances, right, they didn't have these chains or anything like that. The strongest available rope was a three-strand flax rope. They weren't towing anything with Ford trucks back then. And so virtually nothing in their day, those ancient days, could break apart that rope. Now, one, even two of the strands could be under pressure and could begin to fray. And I don't quite understand the physics of ropes or anything like that, but as long as that third strand held, that rope would not break. Now, given the context of everything that Solomon recorded in this journal, in this reflections journal, especially in its conclusion, we know that the cord of three strands represents you intimately connected with others and intimately connected with God the cord that will never break. Meaning, yes, intimately connecting with others will help you live an incredible life. You will be happier and healthier and smarter, but ultimately that too will prove Hevel, leaving you feeling empty. 
However, when you braid all of your relationships with God, you will create for yourself a life that will not fall apart. While you or the other person with whom you're connected may begin to fray, you will be able to withstand any strain and endure any pressure because God remains constant. In other words, now, here's our major key alert. If you want to live a blessed up life, if you want to live a life of purpose, passion, and peace, you have to prioritize to pursue intimacy in a God-centered community. You have to prioritize your life to pursue intimacy. Make that a chief aim. Listen, now I believe God is urging us out of a life of affliction and emptiness and into a life that is blessed. I believe he's calling us to raise our standards from simply pursuing the American dream to pursuing his kingdom dream. A dream that we would be a people that designate date nights to rediscover the magnificence of our spouse. That we would be a people that come out of the safety of our fortresses and enter a life of exploration with our children. I believe he is daring us to put down our electronic devices and to pick up a cup of joe with old friends. I believe he's challenging us to have the courage to organize cookouts for our neighbors so that we can connect with them and get to know them and learn how we could pray for them. I believe he's inviting us to prioritize getting out of our desks and getting to know our coworkers more personally. And I believe he's pleading with us Saying, don't wait until you're bitter and you're depressed to prioritize your pursuits. Solomon already lived it. The scriptures still teach it. And modern research currently supports it. So prioritize to pursue intimacy. Now, can you imagine just what would happen if only a handful of us did this? Can you imagine what would happen if all 900 of us, all three City Church downtown services, this tribe of people would commit to pursuing intimacy? You know, I believe if we live out this major key to pursue intimacy, God will move miraculously in our lives. We would make significant strides toward eliminating poverty and reducing crime and bringing healing to folks who are struggling with PTSD. We would keep our loved ones from experiencing depression and keep them from even considering thoughts of suicide. I believe that stress and anxiety and loneliness would go down and our fulfillment would go up. I believe that we would be happier, our families would be healthier, and our children would be smarter. And I believe that when we are on our deathbed, we will be at peace knowing that there was nothing Havel about our pursuits and how we spent our time. And so what I am asking you to do today is to commit. Commit to prioritizing your life to pursue intimacy. Intimacy with God and intimacy with others. This is crucial to experiencing the life of purpose, passion, and peace. And because it is so crucial... Because intimately connecting in real time, face-to-face, is a major key. I want this tribe to go deeper. Right? I don't want our services to merely be like a movie theater where you come, you get entertained, and then you just bounce. And so I want us to practice this right now. What we're going to do is something churches don't normally do, and 
we are going to intimately connect in this service. So turn your attention to the screens. Now, there are three questions on there, and those questions are, what is your name? Where are you from? And what do you enjoy doing, right? What pastime brings you the greatest joy? So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Not yet. I'll tell you when. And then when you're standing, I want you to look around for somebody in your area that you didn't come with and that you do not know. And then I want you to, you and that partner to pair up and to take turns asking and answering those three questions. Again, they are, what is your name? Where are you from? And I imagine a lot of people are from San Antonio, so ask them what school they went to or what part of San Antonio. And what do you enjoy doing? Like what pastime brings you great joy? Now, if you're like me, an extreme introvert, you're socially anxious, you wanna throw up when people look at you, <laughs> I promise you, it'll, it'll be over soon. All right, and everybody's gonna be doing it. You're in a safe place. We're not gonna ask anything intrusive or anything like that. And so uh, after a few minutes, we're gonna come back together. We're gonna pray together. I'm gonna bless you guys, do a benediction, and then you will be dismissed, okay? So right now, just follow the instructions. Everybody stand. Look for somebody in your area. You don't have to travel too far that you don't know, you didn't come with. Music's gonna start and ask those three questions. All right, let's, let's bring it back in. Thank you guys for participating. That wasn't too painful, right? And... For those of you who didn't participate, it's okay. We are radically accepting. You're just 31% more likely to die in four years, you know? So it's all good. I'm just messing with y'all. Seriously, thank you for participating. I really do hope that we as a tribe can go deeper and experience a greater, more fulfilling life. And, you know, last week, again, we said that the major key was to what? Acquire wisdom. And today's major key is to? I didn't do a good enough job. All right. Let me start over. So in my 20s, I, no, just, <laughs> yes, to prioritize to pursue intimacy, all right? So let me give you guys a couple of instructions before we depart. Um, this is so important to us, getting intimately connected, getting you guys intimately connected, that City Church downtown is going to do something called pop-up tribes. So... By all the giving kiosks, you're going to see some signups in order for you to be a part of these pop-up tribes. They're going to have a facilitator that's going to take you through certain questions to talk about God and our lives. It's a way to just get connected at various coffee shops and at various cafes all throughout the city. If that's something you're interested in, go ahead and sign up at any one of those stations. As always, I want to remind you that one of the ways that we prioritize God in our lives and put him first is to give our first fruit tithe to his storehouse, your local church. And we do this. We encourage you guys to do this because God has assured us that when we test him in that area, he will open up the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing until it overflows. And now, at the very beginning, you saw uh, Robbie give the announcement in a very interesting facility, right? That is the Cameo building. You got a sneak peek to that. It looks amazing. So for those of you who have committed to Give to Restore, make sure you do your part. And we thank you in advance for that. So 
Next week, we're going to continue with this series. I hope you guys would just have an incredible week where you acquire wisdom and pursue intimacy. So right now, let's pray, and then I'm going to bless you guys as we go. Lord, we just are so grateful that you are such a loving father that you don't want us to be a people that are experiencing any sort of afflictions and that we would be anxiety ridden or filled with a lot of stress, but you want us to experience a life that you created us, you designed us to experience, a life of peace and purpose and passion. We thank you that you want us to experience your joy. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us the courage to pursue it, to make whatever adjustments necessary in our lives to be able to do that and to give our lives to something that really matters and produces fruit. And so guide us this week, Lord, as we move as perpetual rookies. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.